Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Canada. Canada. Well, doesn't it derive from Agonikahawir? Yeah. It's village. As Indigenous people, we are used to our stories getting a little twisted. So listen up as we set the record straight. I'm Ganyetio. Please join me as we hear from dozens of Indigenous people. Together, we will decolonize our words and our minds on the Telling Our Twisted Histories podcast. You can find episodes on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Harv, how do you feel about talking about money? Oh. Are you comfortable talking about money? Oh, it's a pretty loaded question, I would say. (laughs) I work for a financial institution, so all I talk about is money. (laughs) Even in a personal context, when it's like outside of business matters? Ah, that's a totally different question. (laughs) Uh, You just said money. (laughs) Yeah, so no. No, uh, I feel very uncomfortable talking about anybody's personal finances. That's a taboo. Mm. Uh, And I believe my organization doesn't even allow that. Uh, I could be wrong. And also, it's very uncomfortable. What is there to benefit if you are uh, making more or less money than your peer? Mm. Am I supposed to feel inferior or are they supposed to feel superior? What's the point? So it's better to avoid this topic. Right. I feel like when it comes to talking about my own money, you know, I like the idea of being more transparent with salary and making it a less taboo topic. But uh, I always have this irrational fear Mm -hmm. that if someone knows the number, they're going to be able to plug that into Google and hack my bank account (laughs) and like take all of it. Okay, okay, okay. okay. Let's let's answer that question first. So I have already said I work for a financial institution and I can guarantee you, this is my personal guarantee, <laughs> that if anybody plugs your num- your salary number in Google, yeah. your bank account is 100% safe. Don't oh. you ever worry about that. Well, I really appreciate the, <laughs> the personal reassurance for sure. <laughs> yeah, but I get you that this conversation is really uncomfortable, and I'm sure it is for lots of people. I've also heard that pay transparency and being open about salary can be a really important thing in terms of making our workplaces more equitable. So I'm curious to see why we got here, why talking about money is so tough in the first place and where to go from here. So from we two who have never asked this question, we should talk to someone who has. This is my friend, Monica. Welcome to our show, Monica. Hi, so nice to join you guys. At your old workplace, you actually decided to ask your colleagues how much they made. What led up to that decision? I was working as part of the marketing department for a startup tech company here in Toronto. And at first it was fine. However, as time went on and my responsibilities increased, I started to feel like I was being underpaid. And so that got me into thinking, hey, Am I actually being underpaid? And that's where it all started, basically. Mm. Right. How did you ask that question? Yeah. So I actually like I wrote out a script, <laughs> which is which is hilarious because like my coworkers, like we we have lunch together, we're always chatting, and I had to write, write out a script to talk to them. It was ridiculous because just this question it was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. And so basically, it boils down to, hey, I was just wondering how much you make. Very simple, straight to the point. Eight out of ten times. They just answered right away. Wow. They were at first a little taken aback. It's like, oh, you're asking me that. Okay. 
question registered. Wow. And there's only about 20%. I feel like that was like, I'm not comfortable sharing that, which to which I say completely fine. Do you want to go grab coffee? Yeah. Huh. And then never talk to them again. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so I'm assuming that you were asking uh, your peers as opposed to anybody who is like outside your department or uh, somebody who's less relevant to you. Absolutely. Yeah. I only like asked the people that I was working with closely. Yeah. And what did you find out from asking them? Were your suspicions confirmed? Yes, absolutely. What I was actually, what I found really interesting is when I asked all my female co-workers, they made around the same as I was, and we all felt like we were underpaid and doing too much work. Mm -hmm. However, in our team, they were um, a couple, a few uh, male colleagues. And uh, I want to make an interesting note to say that when I asked the question, how much do you make, all of my male colleagues, right away, bragged about it. It's like, oh, this is how much you make. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> and the people who hesitated a bit were all women. Mm. And what I found out was a little bit like jarring for me. Mm -hmm. The men made twice as much as we did. No way. Wow. Literally no way. twice as much. And, twice. and yeah, exactly. And what like angered me a little bit at a time was that there were several people like the male colleagues, I was actually helping them do their work. I was helping them do mm. part of their work for them. Adding to my um, overworking because wow. it wasn't even my, in my job description, but like, oh, Monica, you're good at this. Help me with this. I'm like, okay, sure. Right. Because during that conversation, I also told them how much I make. And they were like, oh, okay. It wasn't like a shock, which I kind of I kind of wish that they were like, oh, my God, that's not like acceptable at all. You should go for ask for a race. Right, right. But most of it, yeah, like they just accepted it. It's like, all right, cool, mm. cool. Monica, everything you said was shocking. First, I thought it would be 10-15%. Not fair, but that's what the stats say. Mm. So I assumed that that would be in that band. And then secondly, uh, they're doing less work and not getting shocked. Mm. I mean, this is, uh, this is a totally a new level. Yeah, it was quite a shock to me as well. I mean, I certainly hope it's not the case everywhere. Right, yeah. So after this all happened, did you end up asking for that raise you wanted? I did because I was livid. <laughs> I can imagine. Um, yes, go off. I wasn't just asking for a 10% raise. I thought it was justified for me to ask for a 25% raise mm. because of the amount of work I was doing and of like how much everyone else was being paid. Mm. So that whole entire process took three months. <sighs> From my first initial meeting to when they finally approved, uh, I think it was even less than 10%. They finally approved, I think, about 8.5%, some obscure number mm. of a pay raise. I was like, you know what? It's fine. It's a win because it's the principle that mattered to me at the time. Right. No, but Monica, you are paid 50%. And by getting an 8% or even 10% raise, you are still, uh, and if you do the math right, you are still paid 45% lower than what you should have been paid. Mm. So that is true. That was not a win in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, small steps, small baby steps. Yeah. Fair. What happened next? Were there any consequences of you doing this? Well, after a while, I actually ended up leaving the company a little while after that. And what was quite interesting is after I left, most of my female coworkers also ended up leaving because we were all a little bit disgruntled at being underpaid, being underappreciated, undervalued. And eventually we just all moved on. Mm. Mm -hmm. Looking back on this experience, would you change anything about what you did? Nope, I would not. Even though it was scary, I feel like it was a growing moment for me, definitely. Mm. And I will also say that for my coworkers, several of my women female coworkers, and they said that 
it was cool that I was asking that question because they were always afraid to ask. Right. Uh, one of my coworkers, uh, she actually moved on to another company before I did even, and she said that she was able to negotiate her new salary in which she's never done before. So just small little moves like that, I feel like it's important. Mm. And she got the salary that she wanted, mm. which is great. Which is just like yes, it was it was a great celebration moment. That's awesome. Yeah, but that all started from having the guts to ask this question. Monica's not the only one with this kind of experience. Here's a voice note from Kedra, who's also all for talking about money with your coworkers. So I was working as a student employee and I had one other coworker that was also a student. They were hiring two new student roles and I saw the rate and it was about $5 more than I made. And it was roles that myself and my coworker would have been training. And I was like, um, that's kind of bizarre for me to be training these people who are making more money than me. Like what's going on here? That's what led me to asking my coworker at the time how much she made. I messaged her to ask, hey, you know, not trying to be weird and you don't have to answer this, but how much do you make right now? Like, what is your hourly rate? This person did confirm that she was also making $5 more than me. So I approached my manager. My manager was a black woman. And I'm also a black woman. And my coworker is a white woman. My manager was really like, hey, you know, this is not the first time that they've done stuff like this to black people. I also had the possibility that my supervisor was also just a negligent person because he had been negligent with my pay in the past. So it could have been that he's bad at his job and this is racism. Or, no, this was actually just purely racism. Or, no, this was purely, he's just bad at his job. I ended up going to HR. That didn't really take me anywhere. It was the first time that I learned that HR is meant to protect your employer. More than they're meant to protect you. Throughout this entire thing, I just remember feeling so upset and confused and like I had been wronged. I'm definitely happy that a situation like that happened early in my life because it really changed how I understand pay and money and transparency within jobs. And I would never feel awkward about it or strange about it. Since that last job, I haven't actually taken a job that pays me less than that. I think it's essential that people discuss their pay with their coworkers to ensure historical inequities don't persist. Especially as a racialized person, as a woman, as a queer person, like these are things that I can't just let go. I need to always assure that I'm being treated fairly because there are histories where people like myself have not been treated fairly. Alena, in Monica's case, 
she was working in an office mm-hmm. but the conversations would be very different if one is not working in an office setting well as the resident millennial of the show uh, i think this could be my answer to most things but i've seen this conversation about salary and pay in general happening a lot on twitter hmm twitter okay <laughs> what is this twitter <laughs> I am LL McKinney. I go by L, urban fantasy author extraordinaire. L started the viral hashtag publishing paid me. It asked authors to share what they've been paid for their books to bring attention to how authors of color, especially black women, are paid less. The conversation around how much people are paid isn't a new one. Mm-hmm. It's like women are only paid so much, but then it gets broken down, you know, to Black women are paid this much, Latinx, Latina women are paid this much, so forth and so on. So publishing has also been having this and similar conversations. Mm-hmm. Right. So 2020, which was a year, <laughs> is, we're in the throes of it, right? The summer, when yeah. everything just sort of explodes. And Tochi Anyabuchi, who's another YA author, uh, was on Twitter and he said something to the effect of, Hey, allies, you know, if, if y'all are wanting to do this diversity and inclusion thing, you're going to have to be ready to have the hard conversation around money. Mm. And a bunch of people were agreeing with him and were like, yeah, you're right. We should talk about it. And then they were not talking about it. <laughs> right. I got frustrated and I started yelling on Twitter, which is what I do when I'm frustrated sometimes. <laughs> I was essentially saying things like, Y'all not doing anything. You're not saying that. No one's putting up numbers. Like, that, that's mm-hmm. what we're here to talk about. If, if you're wanting to have the conversation, let's have it. Put up your numbers. Mm-hmm. 15, 20 minutes after my initial saying that, I'm like, do you guys need a hashtag? Here, publishing paid me. Say something. Mm-hmm. There was no plan. It was a fit of passion, just egged on by such frustration and anger, rightfully so, mm-hmm. at people who always want to have the conversation and that's as far as they get is they want to talk about it. Mm. So I think it was an ally named Nita. Nita was the first that I saw use the hashtag to tweet what they had been given for their debut. And then the next was, it was a non-black person of color and she tweeted and it just started to grow from there. Didn't expect what happened. Didn't expect what came next. <laughs> Neither me nor Tochi. We were just on Twitter, just angry about it. And this is the result. Very interesting. Were people at all reluctant initially? Because money is such a an uncomfortable thing to talk about for so many people. Yes. It was like a trickle at first, right? And right. Nita even said that they were scared, but being scared wasn't enough of a reason not mm-hmm. to be an ally. Right. And... I think once others saw that standing up at this point wasn't, it was a little bit less dangerous because you weren't the first. Mm. So they, they joined in. It was a lot in 24 <laughs> hours. Yeah. I saw some really big name authors chimed in like Roxanne Gay and Gillian Flynn. It's really amazing. So, so for the benefit of our listeners, so they published what they got paid, correct? Advance. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about the advance. So yes. um, Publishing Paid Me was for those authors to say what they had been paid for their debut. <laughs> and if they had multiple payments, did they go up? Did they go down? You know. Right. In publishing, if a white author 
has a book that doesn't earn out or it flops, doesn't do well, you know, mm -hmm. that book was the problem, not necessarily the author, not necessarily the type of stories they want to tell. Right. And they're given a second chance with just mm. as much money, sometimes more money. Wow. And then you'll have Black authors who might not make back the advance. They might not earn mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. And then you're told, see, see, we told you these stories don't sell. Mm -hmm. See, we told you Black people don't read. Mm. So now instead of just being this book, it's now about the author and then everybody liked the author. Right. So if I'm hearing you right, these disparities in pay trace back to how publishing sees Black stories as not as viable uh, for selling purposes? Oh, yeah. Advances are a way that a publisher th shows what it thinks is and isn't a universal story. Mm -hmm. That's the excuse that a lot of great authors, just amazing writing, have been given is that the book is great, but I just didn't connect to the character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But see, the thing with it is with storytelling and with empathizing with the character, that mm -hmm. is kind of a one-way street. Mm -hmm. For my entire life, I have to watch white television shows. I have to watch white movies, read white books. Mm -hmm. That is how I have to get any kind of entertainment because that is all that is offered. So I learn mm -hmm. from diapers to empathize with white people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I also learned how to empathize with blue dogs, <laughs> Thomas the Trains, cars, all sorts of other things. And that doesn't work the other way around. No one has to, has to, for their survival, learn about any other culture. Mm. So by the time someone who's never had to empathize, who's never had to consider the aspects of another culture, gets to a point where they're making decisions on books being purchased, mm. the excuse of, I didn't connect with the character, is a lot mm. more sinister than we first realized, right? Right. Mm. So that brings it back to publishing paid me is, if you think something will appeal to most everyone, but you've been cut off from most everyone, you have a very limited idea of what that story has to look and sound like. Mm. So because... Publishing is not a, a regular kind of a nine-to-five job. It's it's very different. Is it harder or easier to talk about money? I mean, it's not a quote-unquote regular nine-to-five job, but it's the same. The water cooler is an inbox or right. the bar at a convention mm -hmm. center or right. a retreat. But in the same way, it still is corporate America. So you are mm -hmm. discouraged from talking mm -hmm. about money. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. as a whole, we're discouraged from talking about wealth and our lack of it. But, but corporate America only talks about money. No, 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 no. They talk about company money. Right. You're ah. not allowed to talk about personal money. The company can make this much gains and have this much over end or whatever fancy word they want to say for in the black. <laughs> I don't know. Half of the money is liquid. Half of it's solid. Maybe it's a gas. I don't know. <laughs> I don't like science. <laughs> but you like science fiction. True. And I lied. I do like science, but I don't like math <laughs> science. Okay. But you're discouraged from talking about it for the same reason you're discouraged talking about it in the corporate world. It's so that you don't find out that you're not being paid your worth. Mm. It has very little to do with what somebody else is making. What somebody else is making has absolutely nothing to do with you. 
except to inform you as to whether or not you are being paid your worth. Hmm. Yeah. So we have established that and we know that things are not fair. Things are not right. Things are not the way they should be. Where do you go from here? If I can go off of that, have you seen, you know, ever since publishing paid me blew up, have you seen any sort of shift in the industry? Has the conversation, uh, do you think, translated into any change? I know it has for a few people. People have contacted me behind the scenes and told them that, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, invoking publishing paid me led to them getting more than what they were offered initially. Mm -hmm. wow. Much more in some cases. Um, and this is not only for advances. This is people within publishing, marginalized people going for promotions or going for jobs or going for whatever. So it has had some change. But if I can count on the, my, on my fingers, the instances, then it's clearly not enough. Right. But the thing about publishing paid me is that it happened on such a large scale stage that people mm -hmm. outside of publishing were made privy to it. The best way a problem lingers is if no one knows it's an issue. Mm. If you name a problem a problem, whether it's a problem for person A or person B, it's now visible and has to be dealt with. Right, mm. right. If anything, I think it's emboldened the right people it needed to embolden. Mm. It impacted a few people who it needed to impact, you know, at the higher levels. Change is happening, and it's happening slowly because the people who are in power are still clinging to things. But it's happening at all because the momentum is on our side. To learn more about this whole conversation and about the pay disparities that Elle spoke to us about, you can check out the hashtag PublishingPaidMe. It also resulted in a crowdsourced spreadsheet with over 2,000 entries where authors shared what they were paid for their books, broken down by race, gender, sexual orientation, and disability. And there are similar spreadsheets for many different industries. So if you're wondering if your industry has something like it, take a look. Oh boy, <laughs> Canada. Canada. Well, doesn't it derive from Agonigawari? It's village. As Indigenous people, we are used to our stories getting a little twisted. So listen up as we set the record straight. I'm Ganyetio. Please join me as we hear from dozens of Indigenous people. Together, we will decolonize our words and our minds on the Telling Our Twisted Histories podcast. You can find episodes on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode, we are exploring how much do you make? That's a question Annalie has thought a lot about. She's based in Sweden and is a creative director and content writer. So I went freelance after I finished college, which means, you know, I'm setting my own rates. In Sweden, we have like freelance recommendations. So that's always a really good way for me to know where to start. But then I feel like I often like undersell myself because I don't know, I don't know any other content writers. So I don't know what to compare to. Right now I'm working as a creative director for a company that I worked with for about a year. Um, so they needed a graphic designer and they asked me to do it. And the pay wasn't the best, but you know, I was like, this is my first time doing this sort of work, so it's whatever. And they were like, oh, the, the work that you're doing is so great. You're putting so much thought into this, blah, blah, blah. But 
they kept telling me, they were like, oh, we have this really like big budget for a design firm, but now we don't have to use that money because we can hire you instead. To me, that was like, okay, so why aren't you paying me more? If you're saying that I'm so thoughtful and so creative, like why am I not getting the money that I should be? In the creative industry, it's so common to have this mindset that the job in itself is a reward. You're supposed to do this work because you're like passionate about it. You're supposed to do it because you love it, because it's just a sort of an expression of your passion or it's an expression of your hobby. And you know, you can be doing what you love, but you can be paid for it too. If companies were to sort of start advocating for salary transparency, that'd make a huge difference in and sort of just normalizing talking about it. If I could see like how much each person in each position is making and why that is, if they're saying, oh, you have to have worked this long to have this pay, or you have to have this sort of experience to have this pay, having that sort of ladder maybe to, to climb, that'd be really helpful. So for both Elle and Monica, this question led to some change. Mm -hmm. But those problems still persist. Mm -hmm. I want to know, where do we go from here to make things better? I called up an expert who's got some thoughts on that. And what role asking this question, how much do you make, can play in making things better. My name is Rafi Aladina. I am currently a diversity and inclusion consultant. I was a research fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School studying implicit gender and racial bias in negotiations. And so a lot of that centers around asking questions like, how much do you make? How much should I make? And that can get really complicated. Rafi is also someone who values being really open about this question. He actually has a sort of pact with his friends about it. When I was graduating from university and was looking for jobs, it was really uncomfortable to ask some of my friends, you know, what they were going to be making in the jobs that they had already secured and things like that. Mm. And so really early on, a group of friends and I decided that we're explicitly stating that we're okay asking each other that question of how much are you making so that we can negotiate better. Mm. You know, it was something that everybody told us, you have to negotiate and the, how you negotiate your first salary can determine how you negotiate future salaries and that should, it's a really important thing to do and, you know, things like that. Right. Um, the discomfort you mentioned, do you think it's all about the fact that we weren't raised to talk about money or, or is there something else going on there as well? I think it's a combination of things. I think part of it is that discomfort. And, you know, we've kind of been conditioned to not talk about money or to be uncomfortable talking about money. Mm -hmm. You don't ask people how much they make. I think it was like, you don't talk about religion, politics, and money at the dinner table. That's the yeah, line. Yeah, something about that. I think the other part, though, is we all want to feel like we're earning an adequate amount of money. We None of us wants to feel like we're behind our peers. Mm -hmm. And I think that we've, for whatever reason, I think how much people make has been almost portrayed as a thing to compete with people about, mm. even your close friends or your family and things like that. It's been like a marker of how successful you are. And people want to feel successful. People don't want to feel bad about themselves. Yeah. And so if you ask someone how much they make and they, it turns out they make more than you and they're in a similar job, instead of thinking, wow, that's great. What did you do to get to that point? How can I do that same thing? 
Instead, it's, oh, why do I make less money? Am I doing something wrong? Am mm. I doing something differently? Should I have negotiated better in my last one? Yeah. So I think that's part of it too. And then I think the third aspect is when people ask, how much do you make? The immediate thought is, what's your salary? Mm-hmm. It's not, what do you make with bonuses? It's not, is money the only compensation you're getting? And they, people don't talk about you know healthcare benefits or um, like, so I work in the US, just the fact of having more access to healthcare in Canada means that you don't have to theoretically make as much. So the value of my earnings are less here because I have to pay for some obscene amount of money for health insurance. Right. Or even, you know, things like vacation days, right? How much you make can be about a lot more things. And if we thought about it more broadly like that, then maybe we'd be able to negotiate in a more healthy way with our with our companies and with the people we work with. Hmm. On the flip side, are there any times this question might not be super helpful? Or does salary transparency in general always lead to these better outcomes for pay equity and inclusion? Generally speaking, yes, Hmm. in that the more transparency you have, the more you can understand about how much other people in similar positions make, or, you know, if you're getting promoted, if, if you want to justify how much you should make, then you need something to back it up. Hmm, yeah. But one of the other things we know is that people tend to talk to other people who are similar to them. Hmm. Women talk to other women. Men talk to other men. People of color talk to other people of color. And that's even more true with sensitive questions like this. So when you're talking about how much do you make, chances are you're going to ask your family or your closest friends. You're not going to ask random people, most likely. So unless there's a real effort consciously placed on ask people who are different from you how much they make in the similar positions, right? it won't necessarily lead to those more equitable pay outcomes. Because mm, the knowledge will just be circulating back and forth, people who are paid more or less the same. Right, exactly. And I think that's why it's so important to try normalizing this question. So like you and I are very different people in that. I mean, I have no idea how old you are, but we're probably in the similar generation. Yeah. But otherwise, you're a white uh, presenting female person. Yeah. Living in Canada. Yeah. You know, I'm a brown guy living in the US. So it's important for us to be able to feel comfortable asking each other these questions. Hmm. On an organizational level, how can, you know, because this this is what you do, like, what do you think organizations should do when it comes to the issue of salary transparency? Ideal world, companies, at least internally, publish everybody's salaries. Hmm. Salary, bonus, vacation, benefits. Hmm. I think there are some potential negative sides to that. It can lead to competitions and you know, some level of like gamification of it all. But all right. I know certainly with my own employers, like everyone knows how much everyone makes. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that we've all said that like we need to be able to talk about. And it's still really uncomfortable, even though we've explicitly Mm. said it, it's still really uncomfortable (laughs) to say, this is how much I make a year. Right. But as a person of color, while I may feel only comfortable talking to other people of color about how much they make, or people who are like me and my closest friend group, I don't have to ask other people. It removes the burden of asking that question, Mm. which is really what allows for those kinds of pay equity conversations to begin flourishing in in real action, tangible action. Mm. With your friends with whom you ask this question, 
has that gotten more comfortable over time? Or I don't know, is it still awkward asking this question with your friends? It's less awkward than it used to be. The, but I don't think it's gotten less awkward because we ask it of each other that often or anything like that. I think it's gotten less awkward because we're all more conscious of the fact that how much our salary is isn't a marker of our worth. Mm. We work in different jobs. We work in different fields. We're going to earn different amounts of money. Yeah. And it's not about how much money we have necessarily, but about whether or not we feel like we're being compensated adequately for what we do. Mm. So like I, one of my best friends from university with whom I have this kind of agreement that we're going to be okay asking each other that question. Um, he is, a, he's a software engineer. Yeah. Software engineers make a lot of money and he's very good at what he does. And so, you know, he's been making somewhere between $100,000 US a year and $150,000 US a year since we graduated university in 2012. Damn. And the way that he always talks about it is it, I just got lucky that the thing that I enjoy doing happens to pay more right now. Mm. And I really appreciate that because in some ways, I think he's entirely right. It's not like my job is so much less valuable. It's not like my job is so much less worthwhile doing. It just happens that the thing that I particularly enjoy or want to do is not compensated in the same way. And that's just, that's okay. That just is what it is. Right. But I can think about, am I getting paid adequately re relative to what I want in life? And also what maybe I feel like I should be earning. Yeah. No, that's, I think, a smart way to think about it. As we've said, asking about money can be so awkward. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing to ask. I acknowledge that. What's your advice for people who want to start this conversation with a coworker? I think that part of what might help take the awkwardness out of the conversation is to explicitly state, hey, listen, I want to ask you this question. Mm -hmm. So at least people can prepare for it in advance, like prepare for the awkwardness. And you can even say, I want to ask you this question because I'm up for promotion. I need to know how much other people in those roles have made in order to negotiate well. I'm talking to a lot of people about this so that I can get a good general sense of what this is. So I'm going to ask you this question during our call, just FYI. Hmm. Providing those reasons can really help people feel more comfortable providing that information. Yeah. And, you know, I'm happy to share all this information with you too when you tell me your things because it's important that we do this together. And I think creating that kind of idea of a collective that this is for all of us, mm. because if it comes out that our company is paying the women less, that's a bad thing. For sure. Even if it doesn't come out, it's still a bad thing for the company. But if it came <laughs> yeah. out, it would be particularly bad, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Or volunteer the information if people, if you can tell that people feel uncomfortable. Yeah, because then if they see that you're comfortable, they'll feel more comfortable. Yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's the same thing with like vulnerability, right? Like right. to be vulnerable, someone needs to take that first step so that the other person can feel like they can reciprocate. And if you're in a position of privilege or power, it's even more important for you to do that first step. Fun point about that last interview, Rafi at the end of it, once we had wrapped, actually asked me and our producer, Sabrina, how much we make. And he shared how much he makes. Really? So I thought that was cool that he was practicing what he was preaching. Yeah. So, Elena, don't expect me to tell you my salary. And I'm not even going to ask you about your salary. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I am still very reluctant. Even if I was allowed to, I'm reluctant to share my salary. Mm -hmm. Or, more importantly, ask anybody about their salary. What's got that still feeling uncomfortable? 
I, I, I don't know. But uh, that is the way I feel. This is uh, definitely that transparency. I agree with you that there should be transparency so that everybody knows where the range is. And right. within that range, they can compare with their uh, fellow co-workers. Some, some person making 10% more or less than you, that is fair simply because... There are no two people who have the exact same productivity, and that needs to be taken into account. Mm. But then somebody making half as you for the same job, that is totally unfair. Hmm. I mean, I think maybe what we learned throughout this episode is that we're moving towards a more transparent society and more transparent workplaces, but we aren't there yet. Uh, the discomfort is still very real and palpable. And we haven't maybe done all that work as a society needed to make this question, you know, seem really normal and make talking about money seem really comfortable. Absolutely. I think in the right context, if someone comes to me and this knowledge will benefit them, I'm going to try to be more open with sharing this information, even though it might be hard. All the power to you, Lena. <laughs> I was like, you're funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Harvinder Vadva. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Big thanks to our guests, Monica, L.L. McKinney, and Rafi Aladina. You also heard voice notes from Kadra and Annalie. Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was illustrated by Kasha Babis. You can find it on Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. Also, make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast for a full transcript of this episode. The socially distant squad behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our chase producer is Sarah Melton. And our digital producer is Judy Ziyigu. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner. And our executive producer is Arif Narani. An inappropriate question is like thinking someone can hack your bank account from Googling your salary. The T is so strong. I love it. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.